Well, here we are on another uh, gym's day. You know, I didn't, still haven't thought of a catchy little name. I just kind of all business and no play. You know how that is. Um, so anyway, a little review of my week. Last Friday, I went and I picked up the brand new Lund. And it's big and shiny and fast. Me and Pat took it out on the canal. And she did pretty good. Uh, they changed the prop on these newer ones. So it comes out of the hole a lot better. And yeah, it's it's a great boat. Pat's getting his soon, and Kel's teasing me because it was actually her idea to buy one. I was happy with what I had, and she goes, "Can you tube behind the boat you have?" And I'm like, "Nah, not really." You know, she goes, "We need something we could tube behind, and you know, go out and like have fun in like bigger water." I'm like, "Okay, okay, don't stop twisting the arm, stop twisting the arm. I'll I'll do it, I'll do it." So it's funny. I I, uh, I brought it home to show her. And because I stored over at Bush like Billy's place, but I brought it home, backed it in the driveway, and told her to come on out and take a look. And she goes, "Ooh, I like my new boat." And uh, so she's—it's officially she's calling it her boat. It's not even my boat. So, yeah, I just got to be the captain of her ship. And uh, other than that, I really didn't do any fishing. We're talking about going out and giving uh, one last effort uh, towards salmon, but it's also the weekend of the opening uh, archery deer hunting season. But the problem with that is we did that last year and we just spent a lot of time in the woods swatting mosquitoes and it was like any deer movement was happening at night. So I was kind of thinking about skipping out on the first week or two anyway. So this this might just help that. But Pat's also getting his, so we might have to go break his in. I don't really know what's going to happen this weekend, so we're going to find out. But my message this week, I wanted to talk about, I just finished a book and it's called The Death and the Life of, of the Great Lakes. So it's the death and the life of the Great Lakes. Sorry, I started, stuttered there. Stuttered again, saying stuttered. And it was written by Dan Egan. And this book was absolutely fantastic. I recommend this to anybody that is remotely interested in the Great Lakes. We live on the Great Lakes here in this area. Uh, and it's it was just such a life-changing uh, event. And, and Pat, uh, Pat was the one that actually recommended this, believe it or not. He listens to his books. He has one hell of a ride to work every day. It's uh, I think he said it's like 106 miles a day to go to work. So he has time on his hands, especially when you throw traffic in there, potential traffic. And so he has some time on his hands. So he doesn't really have time to read, uh, but he has time to listen to these great books. So he's actually, and, and uh, you may remember, he brought it up on uh, the podcast a few weeks ago. Maybe it was that long episode we did. It could have been that long episode. Anyway, so... I got it. I had to read it. And I, this was a real page turner. You're just like, you're like looking at the time you have left and you're like, oh man, I could probably do a few more pages. I could do a few more pages, but it starts off with, you know, way back when, when the glaciers were melting and thousands of years ago, all the way up until today. But the whole base of it is, is like, uh, how the great lakes were, were fine until man got to them. And we just continuously just screw it up, fix it, screw it up, fix it. And we don't really know where the end of this is. This whole, this whole, uh, I mean, this whole like cycle, because realistically, some of these repairs are almost a lifetime to find out if they work or not. So I have a few things I wanted to talk about with this, especially with Lake Michigan. Um, but this, we're almost at the end of the line. So for anybody that didn't know, and this book really spelled it out to me, it makes sense when you see it in print and you really start thinking about it. But realistically, the Great Lakes is just a big river system. And the head of that river system, the headwaters of that is uh, Lake Superior, and it flows down Lake Michigan, Huron, Erie, uh, Ontario, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a big river system. Believe it or not, but like uh, the Niagara Falls is pretty much the dam for the upper ones before uh, Ontario. And of course, uh, so later on, it, you know, they were around for about 10,000 years, and of course, later on, man came by and said, we could do better. 
And it kind of started back in the Louis Joliet era. So I read this book before this when I read this book called The Traveler of Rivers or something like that. And uh, it was pretty much the only book written about Louis Joliet. And it was, it was very good. It was written in like the 60s, and not a lot of people try to do it. We really don't have that much information information on Louis Joliet because, uh, believe it or not, but the St. Lawrence was a fast rapid coming out of the Great Lakes going into the Atlantic. So it was a very fast rapid, and it acted as a barrier for invasive species and things like that. But he was coming back from coming down this way through Joliet, the Des Plaines River, the Fox River, and going all the way down into Missouri and touching base with some Indian tribes. But when he touched base with those Indian tribes, they're like, you came which way? And he actually came down like the Fox River. He portaged over, remember the portage thing? He portaged over by Portage, Wisconsin, jumped on the Fox, kept coming down the Mississippi, made it all the way down to Missouri. And the Indians told him, oh man, on the way back, you passed up a river. Take that one. It's a lot easier to go against. And it's uh, it's beautiful. It's loaded with wildlife. Believe it or not, here in Illinois, we used to have elk and all different kinds of things. So Louis Joliet actually headed up that uh, up the Des Plaines River as we know it today, uh, minus the channeling, I guess. And he said it was the most beautiful country. He would have loved to have lived here one day. And it was the most beautiful country. But they actually got up to about the mouth of it. And they realized it was only a hop, skip, and a jump into Lake Michigan. And the guy's like, man, that was great. It was a little swampy, but it was an easy portage. And bam, we're back into uh, into Lake Michigan. Like, this would be great if something happened here. So it was like the, the initial uh, thought was put there with Louis Joliet. And uh, anyway, I don't – maybe maybe I said it. But he lost all his records in the Rapids hat going back. So he was coming back from that trip and wrote down – a ton of stuff about he explored. He was an expert map maker and he wrote down a ton of this stuff. And by the time he got to uh, those rapids in the St. Lawrence that were going out, um, him and this kid that was in the canoe, he the kid actually died. They rolled the canoe. He lost all his records. But he's like, aha, I got backups. I'm going to go back. I wrote them. I saved them in a church back. Uh, I forget what Great Lake, if it was Huron or whatever it was. So we headed back, and turns out the church he stored him in burned down. So we lost a lot on Louis Joliet and this whole uh, like thing. But like most of his camp started in the mouth of St. Lawrence. Like the, I think it's actually the Gulf of St. Lawrence up that way, something like that. But it was a one hell of a river coming out of the Great Lakes, down through Niagara Falls, and it was rushing out, and it was just impossible to portage, or I should say impossible to paddle against. There was a lot of portaging on it. That's what I should have said. Don't know why that came out wrong. But anyway, this uh, back to back to this book, the death and the life of the Great Lakes. There was a lot of stages. So they launched the St. Lawrence uh, St. Lawrence Seaway and in 1959. And before that, it was a very natural, untouched, full of lake trout, and very profitable for a lot of Indian tribes that lived here for thousands of years. But of course, this Europeans came and said, "Let's screw this up." And this book explains how we did that. And it pretty much like the main way it started screwing up was with the St. Lawrence Seaway. So they dug the St. Lawrence Seaway and it opened in 1959. So of course, after it opened, they're like, great, we got awesome shipping inside the Great Lakes. We can go all the way up. In fact, it says from the Atlantic to Duluth, if you were to travel that at a roughly, uh, it's a 12 miles an hour is about the average ship speed. It's 2,038 miles, and it takes 112 hours to get there, and you will go through 15 locks. 15 locks. So that shows you, I believe they said uh, Lake Michigan or Lake Superior is six or 700 feet above Lake Ontario. So that's huge. Think about a 600-foot hill. 
and you're going to get a thousand foot ship up to it. That's how many locks you have to get up to get in there. Here's the problem with the St. Lawrence Seaway. So they dug it. And now you don't have those rapids we were just talking about constantly pushing forceful water out to keep those invasive species out. And so they, they made this nice little channel that's smooth and calm and it, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, like a pond, you know, it's like uh, frog water type stuff. So they started introducing invasive species. And in the sixties, they had a horrible, horrible uh, problem with uh, lampreys. And they fought these and it was like, uh, it was overpopulated and they came up with a poison. They put some fish in a tank. They put the lampreys in the tank and they were mixing different things to see what, if it, if we can keep the fish alive and the lampreys dead, they finally found that mixture. And to this day, they still poison in these, uh, I want to say rutting, but like, uh, I can't even think of it, like breeding creeks for the lampreys. So they actually poison certain times of year to keep the lampreys down. That, I mean, that I, the lampreys are uh, original to the Atlantic Ocean. So we just introduced that just to start with the, with the uh, lampreys. Now we're poisoning the water to take care of a problem that we introduced. So we're, we're just doubling up there. And then it moves on later on into the 60s. All of a sudden, dead alewives started uh, washing up everywhere. And you're thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe we overfished the trout. And, you know, it, it's just kind of a natural occurring thing. Nope. The AOIs were uh, native to Atlantic. So they swam all the way up here. They lived here in huge numbers, died, washed up on the shore, and the whole place stunk like dead fish. So we already, now we just introduced a second species. So what was our solution? Okay, well, we are going to start dumping salmon in here. The salmon, the salmon are going to just feast on these things. And it's like perfect. So they throw the salmon in there. And now the salmon are devouring these huge populations of alewives right it's all cleaned up and they're like look at this excellent fishery they're doing the they're doing the harbor fishing like what uh me and my brother-in-law are doing and they're like look at this fish after fish after fish they just throw it out there and bam the fish hit bam the fish hit and they're like oh this fishing's awesome good thing we did this the fishing's insane what they didn't didn't realize is the salmon cleared out the alewife population so now the alewives are just about nowhere and the food fish for the salmon they dropped in there are nowhere to be found so now they had to recoup an invasive species to keep the invasive species alive. And what they, disgu- what they disguised with uh, good fishing, so these are fish after fish after fish, they were actually starving. They would eat anything you put in front of them. And so now we're feeding you know, an invasive species to take care of an invasive species. You kind of see how this is going. Everything was fine the first 10,000 years, but in the last 100, actually, let's say the last 60, 70 years, this is what really happened. So far, it doesn't sound too terrible. We got the lampreys figured out. We got the alewife, and we got the salmon populations about mixed. In fact, if you remember, you know, last week or the week before, I was talking about how uh, they're going to start stocking more salmon because the alewife population's up, and it's just this little balance that they do. But the thing we did not see coming, and the book went in into huge on this, is the zebra mussels. And the zebra mussels, I did not realize. I knew they were a problem. I knew they were ugly. I knew they were everywhere. I did not realize these things are clogging up all different things throughout the Great Lakes, you know, generating stations and cooling things. And like they, it, all it takes is a little pile of these things to just shut down billions of dollars worth of produ- productivity. What started with the mussels, obviously, is that ballast tank from the overseas ships. The zebra mussels are actually native to the Caspian Sea, Caspian and Black Sea. So ships over there are coming here, and they have to sunk, suck in that ballast water for uh, you know coming across the ocean without rolling over. And then what they were doing is they were coming through the St. Lawrence River, with uh, the a seaway, I should say, we created. They get in here and 
they, they, it was so shallow that they had to get rid of this ballast water. Like, well, we can't make it through your channels without getting rid of all this weight. So bam, millions of gallons of water just out like that with anything that is sucked up in between. And they were just dumping it in the Great Lakes. Uh, it would just spread from there and it spread from there and it spread from there. And then, and then with all this going on, years before this, they opened up the Sanitarian Ship Canal to reverse the flow of the Chicago River. Now these things are flowing down through the Sanitarian Ship Canal and they are making out to the Mississippi River Basin. The Great Lakes did not touch the Mississippi River. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I guess the Fox River, you can eventually get there. But we were this, uh, we created this horrible pathway to get to the Mississippi River Basin. So now these zebra mussels are just washing downstream out to the Mississippi. Well, if, in a part of this book, he talks about how they found him in Lake Mead. So for those of you that don't know Lake Mead, it makes up, you know, like where the Hoover Dam is and all that. And they're like, how did we get zebra mussels from the Great Lakes to here? Well, it's those pleasure boaters, and they're very strict about it out west these days. But somebody dipped a boat in the Great Lakes and brought it over there and also went boating there. And now we have them across the western half of the U.S. So you can see the mess we have created in the last hundred years. And going back to the Sanitary Ship Canal, the thing that really has people upset, had people upset, has people upset, you know, both past and present, is that was dug to reverse the flow of the Chicago River because Chicago's like, oh, man, this river's dumping all this waste and things on the beaches. What could we do about it? Hey, I got an idea. Let's send it to the Mississippi, and those people can deal with it. So they dug this hole, and, you know, the river, so it started reversing the flow. Oh, perfect. But now we have the Asian carp infestation. So now it's another alleyway for all this stuff came through the St. Lawrence Seaway. Now we have our very own down here. You know, you hear us preaching about the Asian carp. You get it. I'm not even going to dive into it. I'm not going to call them Kopi. Uh, I think Kopi is masking. I think they're bracing you. Is my This is my opinion. I think they're bracing you for the overtaking of the Great Lakes. So they give it a cute little name and you get used to it. And But what I really think this is, this is like perfume on a pig type stuff. I think if we start adopting the name Kopi and not calling them what they are, you're not really going to realize that it's also a problem. So I refuse to go by the name Kopi. I just think that's cheesy. I think it's time to take care of this problem. And I have a couple, of, I'm, I'm getting up to the point here. I just want you to realize how bad man was for the Great Lakes. As of right now, the only real thing we have protecting is those electric barriers. I told you the sea lampreys are another thing that uh, they poisoned. So as of right now, we have really two options to stop destroying our Great Lakes. And that is poisoning the waters downstream of Lake Michigan, which downstream shouldn't even exist. It should not be there uh, from the Sanitary Ship Canal. And they did poison it once. I'm actually very disappointed in myself. It happened in 2013. They were looking for Asian carp. They poisoned some water. They ended up killing a bunch of bass and catfish that were in there. But they didn't. They only found one Asian carp. It was way downstream, way different than they expected. And I was disappointed. I was in town. I was working around here. And I, I didn't know that was going on. But I guess I wasn't as in tune with conservation as much as I am now. But So poison has been done for the Asian carp. The problem with the poison is, as you can tell, it kills everything else. So we have poison and we have electric barriers. And as you know, electric barriers is just another man-made thing to just let them by. So what is the solution? And there are more and more people saying, look, if we want to preserve the Great Lakes, the only thing we could do is plug them. So you build that wall back up and we plug them. And so when a barge goes up and it needs to, drop, it needs to go through Lake Michigan, it's literally manually 
loading from this barge to that barge and never letting them go into the, into the Great Lakes. Same thing with the St. Lawrence Seaway. Ships coming down and they would manually load from this one to like an inner ship that's been cleared. And this, there is so much more detail I'm not going over just because I, I, I'll just keep going all day about this with, uh, with the book. The one thing I want to say with, with it, some people are like, ah, you can't do that. It's not cost effective. And so what you really have to do is break it down to nuts and bolts. And what is ultimately like the best long-term solution? So you see the damage we did over the last 100 years. 100 years is nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. 150 years ago, things were awesome compared to what we did. Now, 100 years later, we have just destroyed so many things about the Great Lakes. We have just, and it's almost, it's definitely irreparable in our lifetime. If you're listening to this, it'll never be fixed in our lifetime. But I look, we are able to sit here 100 years and look back and say, look at what those people did to the Great Lakes. You know, how dare them? They did, but they didn't know any better. They thought this is great because all they were looking for is a better life. So they weren't looking for, it wasn't, I'm sure some of it was greed, but it wasn't all greed. It was ease and, you know, they, they didn't have the airplanes that we have. They didn't have the cars we have, the train system. And, you know, we, we really had come a long way with other things too. But the best way they had to move was ships. So looking, we're, we are now able to look back over 100 years and realize, oh, man, they made a huge mistake. Toying too much with all these different canal systems and all that. So what I think... Uh, it ultimately, if we're going to save, we have to come up with a solution that is going to make sure that the Great Lakes are okay in a thousand years, a hundred years, however far out you want to stretch it, but it's going to be a lot past your lifetime. So what is it? I call it leaving a legacy. So we want people to look back at all the history. So in a hundred years, 200 years, whatever, you want people to look back and be like, man, can you believe in the early 1900s, they dug this canal and trashed the place. But hey, in 2020, whatever, they plugged it. They got everything captive. They got a, they got a fix. They got things moved down. The Asian carp didn't make it in and destroy the entire ecosystem. So, man, those people in 2020, they must have learned their lesson from the 100 years before and fixed it. So I call that as our generation for the Great Lakes would be like leaving a legacy for the people ahead of us. And it all starts, I'm not, I'm not saying shut down shipping. I'm saying shut down overseas freighters and uh, with the sanitary ship canal, that's an easy fix. It, it would just be, which would mean more jobs if you want to argue that, but it would mean uh, manually moving uh, all the tonnage from one barge to another and then you keep going. You stay in your dirty water, I'm going to stay in my clean water. And that that could be a legacy. That's a realistic legacy to leave generations ahead of us. Which I know that there are a few people fighting for this, and I, I would like to see in my lifetime this get through. And we have such a good resource here. We Compared to the rest of the world, we are so lucky to live next to such clean water that is accessible to us. So that's all. I'm just kind of complaining, I guess, I, if you want to take it as that. But I think, I think The Death and Life of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan is a great book. And I have to tell you, the life is going to start by reclaiming the Great Lakes and disconnecting them in ways that they were not supposed to be connected. Anyway, that is it for mine this week. And enjoy Pat's tomorrow. He's putting his whole boat boat tuning thing together. We got Chili for Bills on Thursday, and we have Monica returning for Storytime on Friday. Thanks again for listening. And follow me on Instagram, by the way, or uh, TikTok, Whistle Mission Outdoors, underscore in between. And yeah, go. Oh, in fact, if you check out the, uh, the TikTok page, you will see the video of the new boat I put together. Thanks, I'm done rambling.